We're not quite finished with Genesis chapter, or Je- I'm sorry, James chapter 3. <laughs> That's Genesis. Which is a shame because I was real excited about the uh, finishing up James chapter 3 here uh, today. Just so many things just keep tying into nice neat knots. But we'll have to ho- hold off on that for another week. we got some more things to finish up here on James 3, 1 through 12. So if you're up on Facebook, I put a little review. Is there a guard on your mouth? If not, maybe there should be. All things that are valuable and important have a guard. And the Word tells us to have one for our mouth. So this would seem to indicate that our words have importance and they have value. So we want to take a look at some of these things in light of the teaching here from James. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 3, it says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens his, opens wide his lips shall have destruction. The uh, NET puts it this way. The one who guards his words guards his life, but whoever is talkative will come to ruin. The New Living. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Well, too many Christians, even though they know teaching on faith, have a, have a guard who uh, often is asleep. We gotta make sure that our guard is not asleep. That we're letting that guard be on guard and to be watching out for the things that we have to say because according to the word, our words have value. Now in James chapter 2 and verse 14, it says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? What does it profit if someone says he has faith? Now I'll put it to you this way. What does it profit if we say things for which we have no backing? What does it profit if we say things that really have no faith mixed in with them? There's a lot of Christians who will speak the right things and say the right things and seem to have words of faith, but they're hollow. There's nothing there. It is not enough to have words if those words are not backed up. And sometimes you can hear it. I know I can't say I do this 100%, but sometimes you hear some Christians speak and you can say, oh, those words are hollow. Those words are empty. There's, there's nothing there. They're saying the right confession. They're speaking the right thing. I have health. I have prosperity. I have uh, direction. I have success. They'll, they'll say all the right things from the Word of God, but you can just tell there's nothing there. They don't have any any substance. And we have to make sure that we have substance One of the things the enemy loves to get us to do is to say things our faith cannot back up. Because the more he can get us to do this, the less faith we have in our words. Because my words don't always work. And we'll we'll, uh, be susceptible to the thought that, well, it works for other people, but it doesn't work for me. Now, I won't say that out loud to other people, but that's what I'm thinking. And that's what's going on inside myself. That's that's what the reality is for 
for the way that I live with this. Mark eleven twenty two and 23 teaches us that our believing in the, in the heart, teaches us that our believing in the heart, the words we speak with our mouth, causes them to come to pass. I have to get that place where I believe with my heart. Let's just read the passage. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, there's the first says, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says will be done. There's the second says, he will have whatever he says. Brother Hagin used to always point out that the saying part is mentioned three times over the believing part. And the Lord told him, he said, you're going to have to teach three times as much on the saying as you do the believing. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, in James 1.19, going back to the book of James, it says, uh, don't be too quick to speak. So then, my brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We've got to be swift to hear, but slow to speak. Too often Christians are, are quick to speak, and it's not just the negative Sometimes we are too quick to speak the positive. Oh, that's for me? All right, I'm going to say it. Well, I haven't got any faith on it yet. I haven't uh, let that let that stew. It's kind of like the, the sower and the seed where you have the, the sower who went out and some of it, the word was received with joy. And some things sprang up, but then the roots didn't go down and they didn't survive for very long. We have to make sure that the roots go down. Because when you start putting yourself in a place of faith, things are going to come after you. They're going to try and, and take your faith down. In Psalms chapter 39, verse 1, I said, I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will guard my ways, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good. And my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was not within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Sometimes if we hold our tongue, we can get all those emotions and all those things that are down on the inside of us under control and not speak out of them. Sometimes we speak out of them anyway. But if we speak out of anything but the faith of God, it will not work out well for us. At least not to the, the way that we want it to. So we have to make sure that we don't allow these things to, to go. God wants us to be preserved by the words of our mouth, not harmed by them. The enemy wants us to be harmed by the words of our mouth. In James chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Now, I've heard this before. You probably have as well. But kings reign with their words. They never look for a tool. They just speak, and things get done. You'll never see... A king who needs a room built, look for a hammer. They don't go out looking for a saw or for a truck to pick up some wood. When a king needs a room built, 
He says, build a room. When a king needs something cleaned, he says, clean it. When he needs something cooked, he says, prepare it. King doesn't get out there and he doesn't do all this stuff. He gets, he, he speaks the words. And when he speaks the words, those words go into, go into action. But the king has to say the words. Servants will come up, you know, people who work in the, in the kingdom. They'll come on up and they'll say, king, what would you like us to do? And then the king will tell them. It's those words that put things in action. We're called to reign as kings. Doesn't mean we have to keep going out there and grabbing all the tools. But we do have to begin to speak to some things and to say some things and to understand our words have value. Kings reign with their words. They don't look for tools. Now, when I have words, if I say words like, well, let's go over here. Or, I'm going there. That's a whole lot better than and I wrote down some things. You can write down whatever you want to here. But I wrote down some things for myself. I'm afraid blank will happen. You ever heard people say that? I'm afraid this will, will go on. How about this one? I know I'm going to catch that. Maybe this one. It never works for me. And we say these things and we, we speak these things and we don't understand if we are believers and we are kings, we are empowering things with our words. Be careful what you speak. Don't speak too quickly. Be willing to just just sit back on a, on something for a little bit. Brother Hagen used to tell us that story of um, uh, you know way back when he was traveling. And when you traveled, the only way that had, they had to communicate, they would write letters back and forth. They didn't have the ability to, to call all the time. So they would just write letters. And um, So you, you'd write the letter and then mail the letter. And then they would get it, you know, a day or two from there. And then you'd write back. And so there was a situation where his, his daughter, Pat, was in school and she had some kind of a growth on her face. And so his wife wrote him about it. Anybody remember that story? And wrote him about it. And, and so he saw that. And I just always... Uh, something that took root in me, he didn't write back right away. This man who went around the country teaching about faith and about healing, he didn't write back right away. He said, I spent some time and meditated on the scriptures for healing. And then at, I think it was three days, and then he wrote back and said, tell her that he said it's healed. <laughs> and so she told that to her, and when Pat heard that, said, well, okay. <laughs> that was it. And then um, it just fell off. They don't even know when it fell off. They just happened to notice, hey, it's not there anymore. But you don't have to be quick, to, so quick to say some, some things. Because what happens is, when we are facing something, and I know what I should say, I know what I should believe, I know what the Word of God says should happen, but I'm not sure that I'm there yet. And so I just start speaking out of that, but I'm speaking words that are powerless because there's no faith behind it. But I've already started this thing going. No, there's no reason that you have to, to even say anything yet. Just stay, stay quiet. Go on back. Go over some of the scriptures. Get it reassured inside you. 
which direction you need to go. And then when it's time, get out there and say something. If it can take one day, two days, three days, it don't matter. Take some time. Get yourself in the right place. Don't be quick to speak. Make sure we don't stumble in our words. He says, look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Horses are turned, ships are turned. Your tongue sets the direction for where you're going to go. And if I utter things like, I'm afraid, that's going to happen. I just know I'm going to catch that. I think if I do that, this will, whatever it is, just, uh, just don't be saying it. Our direction, I gave this down there for you as a bunch of different words, but the commas didn't carry over. <laughs> our direction cannot be set by our desires, wants, feelings, or fears. Our direction cannot be set by our desires, our wants, our feelings, and our fears, or our fears. It must be set by what God spoke to us. That's intentional direction, and we need to be intentional. Don't just let things happen by accident. Don't just get there wherever. Fear comes up, don't speak out of that fear. Keep your mouth shut. Feelings start going on inside you. Don't speak out of those feelings. Keep your mouth shut. Stand guard. Understand. Whatever is guarded is valuable. If the Word of God says your words, your mouth needs to be on guard, you need to understand that what comes out of your mouth has value. It has great value. Probably more value than we would ever understand. But God wants us to be careful with them and to not cause them to become uh, less less useful. They need to be powerful. We need the power that is there behind it. But but Satan wants to come along and he wants to, to whittle it down. He wants to get it first off that you speak things that you don't mean and they don't come about. That you say things with your mouth but you have no intention of fulfilling it. This is weakening it. Causing it to be less powerful. And that's not something that we need to need to go on because we need power. Be like uh, Tim the Tool Man, you know, more power. <laughs> always wants, always wants more power. <laughs> I, I was in this in the shop last week, and um, we have. Um, I, I probably have more sanders than any man should have, <laughs> but I keep them all busy. And so, I, if I kind of read one, two, three, four, five, I think I have six different sanders. <laughs> two of the sanders are identical. They are exactly the same. And last week, one of those identical sanders started to lose power. And I had it turned all the way up, but it's not spinning around as much. And so I, I know what the signs are. And so uh, once that happened, then I took the other sander, and now it has to do double duty. See, there was two duties that one does this and the other one does this. Now the one sander has to do both. That's not a good situation. I need them both to do different things. And so, um, so I immediately I would go up on Amazon and to get a new one was 245 bucks. 
I said, I don't remember paying that much for that sand every 40. <laughs> so I, I looked over, Lowe's, Home Depot, nobody carries a sander. Nobody carries a sander. So um, they had another one. So I went over to one of the stores and I was going to look at this and they had one and actually it was listed as a little bit more powerful, but it was heavy. I got in there, picked it up, said, oh, this sucker is heavy. I, we can't do some of the things that I do with mine. Mine's a lot lighter than this and smaller and you can get around some of the things that I have to have to do. So uh, that's not going to work. And so as I was sitting there looking, I was comparing this one to the one that I got. Now, all of a sudden came up in Google search, Acme Tools, $145. I said, well, glory to God. I said, this heavier one is 99 The one I want is 145 I There's no way I'm letting 50 bucks separate me from the thing that I need to have. <laughs> and they last about three, four years. And then they, then they go, and there's no fixing them. You just, uh, you know, have a go. But uh, this week, my wife, she came into the shop. She's going to help me. Well, we got one sender. And see, this is where we really need the two of them. Because then we have both of them going at the same time. Not just one doing one job and the other doing the other job. So I said, well, if you want to sand, you can come on in here and you can do this. I'll go over here and do this other other job. And so I was cutting and planing and doing stuff like that. And when she got done, I'd take that sander, switch it over to the other thing. And I'd start doing stuff with that. And then if she came on back in, well, we switch it back on over and <laughs> it can do our job. I go back over, I'll cut some more, plane some more, route some more, do whatever we can do to, um, to get all that going on. But you see, you, you need the power. There's nothing worse than a sander who can't, who doesn't go full, full, full board on the, the power. Now, what, my wife and I will sand differently. When I sand, my sander is a variable sander, variable speed sander, which means you can hit everything from speeds of one, two, three, four, five, and six. I don't know why they do that. I don't need a variable speed sender. I need one speed. Fast. <laughs> I want it, I turn it all the way up. It never goes down. All the way up. Every time my wife uses a sender, if I go over and use the one that, that's on the station that she sometimes helps out, she turns it down to five. Sometimes down to four and a half or four. It just, you know, it's, it's spinning more than she wants it to go. And uh, I, I'm thinking for a while, what's wrong? It's not quite, oh, it's turned down. <laughs> I turn it back up. She probably thinks, why is this thing going so <laughs> She probably turns it back down. But um, that's, I only want one speed. I don't need variable speed. They probably cost extra to have variable speed. I wish they wouldn't do that. I just would take one speed, just give me fast. And that's, that's all I need. <laughs> just need to, to go. But you, the, the power that is there behind that sender this is what causes it to do a good job or a better job or a lousy job. So once it starts to die, I know I got to work into to getting a replacement, get a replacement, get it in there. Glory to God, it got delivered a day early. It's in there now. <laughs> My wife even showed me, some big box came for you. I said, yeah, Acme Tools, that's mine. <laughs> got, a, got a new, now I don't love replacing sanders because, you know, all you do is you just replace, you got the same thing you had in there before. There's nothing fun about that. <laughs> but anyway, we got them. We got them in there, but you got to keep your, you got to keep your speed all the way up at six, all the way up. You don't want to be turning no variable speed on your words. Getting sometimes four, three, two. You don't want that. You want your words to be powerful. You want your words to be, when you speak them, they do things. If they, if you speak words and they don't do things, you more than likely have done whatever you needed to do to to make them weaker. We don't want to do that. We want to keep that strong. The um, verse 
make sure I got, no, I didn't quite get everything to be. To be. This, this one is not a blank. Some speak faith-sounding words, but there is no substance to them. They'll say God is going to do, and that's a blank you can fill in. You can just do whatever you want to. And God is going to do, and they say this, but they don't actually think that's going to happen. But they're hoping that if I say it enough, it will come about. That's not understanding the things of the, of the word. There are, there are some times when I may be declaring this, alright, I'm not quite to the place of believing this yet, but I'm not going to say anything contrary to this. But you see, I, I, I've changed my, how I'm looking at this mentally. Now, I know not to expect that yet, but I'm working to get my faith lined up to it. But other times people get in there and they think, well, if I just say it, then it will come about. No, it doesn't say that in, in Mark chapter 11. It says, believe in your heart. Those things that you say will come about. So I got to get myself to believe in the heart. So bold declarations alone won't get, won't change the circumstances. You need to hear God's word. You need to hear God's voice. You need to understand properly his will and speak words in line with that to have power. In verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of the reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Does no spring yields both salt water and fresh? You see, when something is created by God and follows the order that God has created, it will always create after its kind. If I have a mouth that speaks both good and bad, blessing and cursing, then I have separated myself from the Creator. And we've got to change that. Now, speaking words based on what I... And I put down some, some things here for you. But people, will, they'll, they'll speak words based on what I see. I'll speak words based on what I see. And sometimes we try and have faith words based on what I see. This is outward appearance. Do you remember he was talking about don't make judgments based on outward appearance. Don't uh, buddy up to this one because outwardly he looks to be rich. And don't shun this one because outwardly they look to be poor. That's not the way to that's not the way to go. If you learn to judge by outward appearance there, your faith is going to be hindered because I will judge by outward appearance. If I see the tide turning, then I begin to declare with my mouth things of faith. Well, I'm starting to feel better. All right. Well, I'm a, since I'm starting to feel better, now I'll go out and I'll proclaim it to people. Bless God, I'm healed. <laughs> so the people will see that when it goes away, that it was uh, my great faith that got it to be done. But you see, my faith is based on what I see. I haven't empowered my words. I weakened them. That's a, that's a thing the enemy wants to do. 
The enemy does not need you to fail today, but he wants you to fail. It may take him a couple of weeks. It may, he's even patient for it to be a couple of months or a couple of years. But he wants to bring you to that place of failure. He's going to do what he can. And one of those things is to get you to base things on what you see, outward appearance. This happens sometimes too with people. They're believing God for healing. And, uh, oh God, I need a good report. Oh God, give me a good report. And we go to the doctor. We want a good report. Because I want to do things based on what I see. And then we come out of there, oh, thank God, I had a good report. Oh, thank you, God, uh, I'm healed. Oh, thank you, God, because I, I saw something. That's not helping your faith. You have to get to the place where you will say this regardless of what you see. You're not, you're not going to be swayed by outward appearance. And if I learn to be swayed by outward appearance, by the things I outwardly see of people, my faith will also be influenced this way. Don't let it happen that, go that way. So that's the first thing. Speaking words based on what I see. Or outward appearance in the parentheses. The second one is speaking words based on what I feel. Emotions, inward turmoil, or even peace. If I feel peace, then I say words, well, God's at work. I, cause I just feel this peace in, inside of me. Oh, I feel turmoil. I'm not sure what God's doing. I'm not sure what I need to do. Because I feel this turmoil inside. Oh, I just, I don't know. I don't feel like God's hearing my prayers. Oh, I am so bothered by this. I don't, I just don't know how to pray. We're speaking words based on what I feel. Don't speak words based on what you feel. Don't speak words based on what you see. If your feelings don't line up with the word, you may, may have them, but don't speak any words out. Don't, don't let them go. Keep them inside. <laughs> they, they don't hurt you as much when you keep them inside. When you let them out, that's when they hurt you. When God created the universe, did he create the universe with words that he had on the inside or words that he spoke on the outside? When God created Adam and Eve, did he create Adam by words that he spoke on the inside? Or words that he said on the outside. And God said. He spoke it. If God does this by the things that he says. Then this is the pattern that we need to follow. It's the thing that we say. We can't be speaking words based on what I want. Now these desires can be fleshly. This is when in parentheses, these desires can be fleshly or spiritual. It doesn't make any difference. You can have spiritual desires. At least they look spiritual. They look like they ought to be founded on the Word of God. But if I'm speaking out of the things that I want, I am causing my words to be weaker. Because I have to speak words based on the will of God. Well, the Word of God says that we ought to be moving in this gift or operating in this way. So I'm just going to believe God that this is going to be for, for me. I desire that. I want that. Well, that's not necessarily something that you can do. i got to find out what does God want. That's, this is what we'll, we'll do sometimes. Or we'll build up a, a want based on something that um, 
that his word has directed me in. But I base the one off of it. I don't know that that necessarily is the is one God wants for me. But I'll build it up and I have to listen to the to the Father. I have to listen to what God wants us to do. Now here's the fourth one. We can't be speaking words based on what I see, what I feel, or what I want. Nor can I be speaking words based on what I think should be. Because this is my own will or my own wisdom. Well, I don't think that God would... Well, I think that God wants me to... But you see, I can mix in my own will. I can mix in my own thing to, to do it here. God's direction cannot be ignored and faith will not overcome the direction that God gives us. If God speaks to me about a situation, maybe uh, say that I was in the market for a car or a house or a building or I don't, I don't know, some, something big. Don't, don't be thinking something small. We're not talking about going to the garden center and buying a tree. We're talking about something big. But if God were to say, Steve, this is the time. Actually, this is an example that has absolutely no truth in it at all. So I think I can use this without, without getting anywhere. Say that God begins to deal with me and says, Steve, it's time for you to replace that truck. Now, I don't think that one bit. I've got a lot of years left in that truck, and I've seen the new ones. And though they have some nice bells and whistles, um, <laughs> I like what mine can do. <laughs> so I'm not... I'm not about to uh, have to go out there and do that. I like my, my long bit. My, my neighbor just got a new truck. I think he's had three trucks in the time I've had this one. But his company gives them to him. And he was telling me about all the features and stuff like that. He says, yeah, but it's still a short bit. He says, yeah, I know. I put the toolbox on it. It's like I have nothing back there. He said, I, I couldn't deal with it. I need a long bed. I need a long bed. I need a cab. That's a long truck. They don't make them this long anymore. And, and the type of a truck I have, you have to buy a much more beefier truck to get what I got. I don't want that beefy of a truck. I want that one. <laughs> so I, I'm just telling you that I have no desire to go out there and to, and to get a new one. But let's just say, for example, that uh, God says, Steve, it's time for you to go out there and buy a, a new truck. And I, I begin to speak out of some of these other things. Well, God, I don't want a new truck. I like the truck that I have right now. I, I think the truck I have right now is sufficient. I think it's good. I don't want a new truck. And God says, Steve, you need to get out there and you need to get yourself a new truck. Now, he got, he's speaking from a different position than I am. And maybe he knows some things about my truck that I don't know. And if I get rid of the truck now, it's got some value. But if I wait a year, something might happen to that truck that um, its value is gone. And then I'll be looking for a new truck with no valuable truck to trade in. <laughs> and that would be a bad thing. Maybe it is that uh, something's going to happen in the truck industry in which the prices of the trucks are going to go up. Or maybe certain features that I need are not going to be available. I don't know what those things are. But you see, if God comes to me and says, Steve, it's time for you to go out there and buy a new truck. And I argue with him. I say, I don't want a new truck. I am happy with the truck that I have. It's paid for. I don't have to fix it. It's already fixed up. It's, it does. I think I fixed uh, two things so far in that truck in the, how many years? Oh, nine. Almost, uh, almost a dozen years. I fixed two things on the, on the truck. Uh, no, one of them was substantial. It cost me about six, seven hundred dollars to fix that one thing. The other one was only about a two or three hundred dollar fix. But um, that's not too bad. Not so bad at all. And the whole time it was under warranty. Not a single thing was fixed. 
<laughs> it's been a good truck, and I I expect a lot more a lot more years out of it. But um, if I start arguing with God this way, I don't know what God sees, but He may be seeing something. Of course, He would be seeing something, and He's dealing with me on that. And so I begin to speak out of my own wants. I don't want a new truck. I don't want this. I don't foresee there being a problem with me keeping this truck for another five, ten years. But uh, now God doesn't try and convince you. He speaks to you and then you can either believe him or not. He may say it a second time. Sometimes he, may, he might do that. But a lot of times he says, okay. <laughs> he just walks away. He'll just walk away from it. But um, when you learn, you, you, don't, you don't argue that. I cannot speak out of my own wants. Well, Father, if you're telling me I need to replace that, I need to change that, well, there ought to be a, maybe there's a reason for it why that is now. But I really don't want to do that now. But then if I go ahead and I, I do it, then we find out that um, that was a good thing to do. So be careful. Don't speak out of what you see. Well, I don't see any foreseeable problem here. And I can begin to speak on that. Don't speak out of what you feel. Well, why do I have to go get that taken care of? It doesn't feel like it's, there's anything wrong with it. Understand your wants can be spiritual as well as fleshly. A lot of times we think wants, speak out of wants, it's just things that I want. I, well, I want a bigger house. I want a bigger uh, boat or I want a, uh, whatever it might be that, that people want. And it's a fleshly want. And that... Uh, that's not something we need to necessarily do. Brother, uh, I heard Brother Jesse, he was teaching on some things the, the other day that, um, he was, he, I think people were really picking on him for his, his plane. He's got a jet plane. And I think of the message I was hearing him talk about, he says, it's not my fault. <laughs> it's Brother Copeland's. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed God at all for a plane if it wasn't for Brother Copeland. <laughs> But he has this uh, plane, I think he said at the time, he's burned out about four of them. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff that he has to do. And so uh, he was driving with his wife, and his wife really helped him out on this. He said, uh, I don't know, if I'm, am I just spending too much money on planes? <laughs> and so they were pulling up into uh, somebody's church, it had a big church, and they said, well, how much money do you think they have in this church? Oh, I said, he said, at least uh, 20, 25 million. It's a big building. Whoever it was, it was a big building. Uh, and he said, you think that's too much? He says, no, that's what he needs. And he says, well, that's what you need to be able to do the ministry that God's called you to do. You don't need a big building like this, but you need a plane. And he said, okay. <laughs> he's, all, he's all right with that at that point. But um, see, sometimes we can get out of the things that we feel. Well, maybe God, maybe I don't need that. Maybe God, I can get away with something different. But don't speak out of what you feel. Speak out of what God's will is. Find out what, what God, what is your will on this particular thing. Brother Keith Moore talks about his plane all the time. He wouldn't be able to do the things that he does, keep the schedule that he's able to keep, then go to all the places that he's able to go if it wasn't for that. He needs all those, all those things to, to go on. And, um, I, I think in the same message I was listening to Brother Jesse, we were just talking about, um, mission statements here at the worship team. I know that's only affects a, a small percentage of you that are here. But uh, we, in one of the books we're going through, and they were talking about mission statements. And for me, mission statements, I, I take it over to the Word of God. And I look at the people in the Word of God who had mission statements. 
And so we were talking about some of those um, that, that had mission statements. You know, Noah had a mission statement. Uh, it wasn't just build an ark, but it was, you know, to preserve the world. And uh, he was given specific directions on what he was supposed to do. Build the ark, put this in inside of it, and get to get it ready. Here's what's, here's what's coming. He was given a mission statement. He ordered his life around that particular mission statement. He was given, Abraham was given a mission statement. Paul was given a mission statement. Jesus had a mission statement. He would read it every time he would go into synagogue. He would read the mission statement because it came right out of the Word of God. And he would just read right off of that mission statement. God are, will, will speak things to you. I was listening to Brother Jesse teach and I said oh I know I, I found out what brother Jesse's mission statement was because he was talking about all these things about uh, believing God for big things and, and so forth and um, I and God has him believing God believing him for big things not cheap things because God had told him he said, I'm not a cheap God <laughs> and so he believed God for big things I said oh that's his mission statement believe God for big things and tell us the stories about it Because that's what he does. He goes around and tells stories about the things that, that God does. So I, I've developed that myself. I don't know if that's his mission statement or not, but I've, mm-hmm. I've adopted it. He's, he's supposed to believe God for big things and then tell us the stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all right. But you see, God will tell you the, some of the things that you do, but only if you pursue his will. And he may speak some things to you that will go against it. You don't like it. Moses was comfortable where he was out there in the wilderness. He may not have been happy, but he was comfortable. But then God says, I don't want you to be here. I want you to be over there. I don't want to go over there. But he eventually lined up, and it worked out pretty good for him. But just, just know, not everything that God wants you to do is something that you want to do. And not everything you want to do is wrong. And not everything you want to do is right. You've got to listen to God. See, these are all things that I can have faith for that we gave you here in this list. These are all things I can have faith for apart from the Word of God. I can have faith for all those things, but it's not faith based on the Word of God. This faith will confuse some as being genuine, but our words and actions will reveal that it's not. That's what James talks about, the words and the actions of the people. That will reveal how genuine your faith is. Many people have great faith in their feelings. They have great faith in what they see. They have great faith in what they want. And they have great faith in what they think should be. Now, observe how the enemy is after your words. First off, we're going to have you look at Job. Job in Job chapter 2 in verse 9 Then his wife said to him, said to Job, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Interesting that it puts it that way. He didn't sin with his lips. They didn't speak the wrong things. But his wife is in there, Curse God and die. Where do you think she got that from? Why would the enemy work through her to get him to curse God? Because apparently working through him wasn't working. <laughs> so we got to get someone else. 
Now, I'm not saying that she is a, is a, not a, a real good Christian. Understand, she was undergoing a lot of stuff just like he was because she lost the same things he lost. She lost all those babies. She lost the, all the stuff. Same, she was affected exactly the same way that he was, except that Job's uh, on the bed with the sores. She wasn't. But she still had all that other loss, and she still was suffering. And so she was open, and she took these things, and she, she spoke to him, just curse God and die. Why does the devil care that you curse God before you die? Because your words are important, and he knows it. If he can get Job to curse God and then die, that testimony is gone. Hey, but, uh, Luke chapter 4, look at Jesus. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. That's the first temptation that the devil throws it at him. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. The first temptation dealt with Jesus' words. Speak words. These words are not bad words. They are not harsh words. They are not words that are that lack faith. But they are words that are inspired by the devil. Not inspired by the Spirit of God. And so he didn't speak them. I speak the things my father says. His father didn't say that. He didn't speak it. But that was the first temptation that, that was thrown him. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. How many others? We, we could just spend all day here. Just going through the Word of God and looking at all the people whose words got messed up. We've covered Jeroboam before. He spoke words. We covered Saul before. He spoke words. Different ones, they, they speak words. They say some things. They get other people involved. David and the whole thing with Bathsheba, how many words did he have to speak about that? He had to speak to some of his servants to go send a message, message over to her. He had to speak to another Another one to uh, to his uh, commander. He did it through a letter, but he spoke to him. Here's here's what you need to do. We need to take him out. Since our words are our value and importance, the enemy is out to make them work for him. Now we've you've heard things talked about secular music before. And some people, some Christians will say, well, I listen to some secular music. I don't listen to any secular music. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm spiritual. I don't need any of that sort of stuff. I'm, uh, I'm free. I can listen to this sort of stuff. But you've got to be careful of some of the, the things that we are listening to. Now, I pulled up a, a song because I've, I've heard this song mentioned before. And, uh, I mean, this is back in an innocent age. It's, we're not talking about the modern age and all kinds of crazy stuff in the songs. Sinful things, bad language, all that sort of stuff. We're talking, I pulled up one from Patsy Cline. <laughs> How many like Patsy Cline? I mean, she got a nice voice, sweet little lady. But listen to this, the words of this song that people go around and they begin to sing. Crazy. I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. I'm crazy. Crazy for feeling so blue. I knew you'd love me as long as you wanted. And then someday, you'd leave me for somebody new. 
Oh, crazy for thinking that my love could hold you. I'm crazy for trying. I'm crazy for crying. And I'm crazy for loving you. Now, it seems such a sweet song. It's got a nice melody to it. But look at the words we're saying. These are, these are not good. And then people, they just go around, they just singing them. Radio is on, just singing them. Not even thinking about, just singing the words. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. Well, what kind of things are you empowering when you say something just that innocent? Supposedly innocent. But you see, this is what the devil wants to try and get you to do. To depower your words. To get your belief off of your words. To get your words not to mean anything. To get you not to be so focused on the words that you say. It's not important. You're just singing a song. It's just a nice melody. It's just passing the time. Whatever it might be. Put this in your outline for you. Not recognizing the thing's value reduces neither its value or importance. Just because you don't recognize the value of a thing does not mean that that thing has lost its value or importance. I don't watch the show, but I've seen a few excerpts from it. Those folks who go out there on the um, pawn, the pawn shop show. What is that thing called? I don't know. There's a. Is it just pawn shop? All right, whatever it is, they, they take the people, they, they, they have the cameras in on the pawn shop and they have the people there that are experts on just about everything and you bring anything you want there and they can tell you pretty much, you know, what's going on. Sometimes they have to call out and get an expert and they come on in and they make sure that it's this way. And sometimes people come in and they're holding something of great value, but they have no idea. No idea has any value at all. No idea it has great value. In fact, it wasn't given a prominent place in the house. It just kind of was in a drawer somewhere. And, uh, well, I think we'll just take that out and just see what, uh, maybe it has some value. And they go and they find out it's worth thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. We didn't know. And then there's other times that people come in and they think that something is of great value. Tens of thousands of dollars. We'll give you $50 for it. <laughs> just because I think something is of value... Or just because I don't know that something is of value doesn't change its value. Its value is what it is. It's made valuable by how important the people who have the money think it is. Just talking about the pawn shop people. They have to know I have buyers who will pay this for this kind of thing. Therefore, that has this value. Now, in the world, in the spiritual world, world with God, He doesn't care how much you'll pay for it. He knows how valuable a thing is. As we said, God's words created life and the universe. Jesus' words, just His words, caused mighty soldiers to all fall backwards. It raised, His words raised the dead, healed the sick, lame, blind, and leprous. His words. Paul, Peter, James, John, they all grew to know how powerful words are. Jesus said this about idle words in Matthew 12, 36. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Hmm. Seems like words are pretty important. 
Ananias and Sapphira paid a price for their deeds, but not until the words came out of their mouth. Isn't that interesting? They did the thing, but until the words came out of their mouth, it didn't get, it didn't affect them that way. Remember the officer at the gate who was trampled for what he, not what he thought. He was trampled because of the words that he spoke in 2 Kings chapter 17. Can this thing be? And Elisha the prophet said to him, well, you're going to hear about it, but you will not see it or taste of it. Because of the words that he spoke. Other people may have thought those same thoughts, but they didn't believe words to it. That's the ones that did it. Seems there should be a guard on our mouths. Seems like there ought to be one there. That we realize its value and are careful with the words that it speaks. Your mouth has great value. Don't say things out of anger. Don't don't uh, believe that phrase, well, I'm just saying. There is no just saying. Often the Holy Spirit will nudge you in your spirit when you're about to have or have uttered wrong words. Have you ever felt that? Sometimes some words came out of my mouth and in my spirit immediately. I feel a, ooh, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. Sometimes it's, it's just, that's inaccurate. I spoke out of what I knew, but then all of a sudden my spirit nudged me. That's inaccurate. Oh, I need to go back and find that out. Need to go back and check that thing out. Because the Spirit of God let me know. If He's gonna let you know it's inaccurate, He's gonna let you know what the accurate part is. So I go back there, there with Him. But if you utter words out of anger, out of feelings, out of what you see, whatever it might be, and the Holy Spirit quickens you, correct them right then. Don't wait. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I didn't, I didn't want to say that this is what I needed to say. And say what you should have said. Say it right away. Don't uh, don't give time to it because your words have power. Don't speak words that you don't believe. Get your belief up to believe it. Now don't now don't just say, "Well, I'm never going to get to believe that." No, there's a there's a place, there's a time. Set yourself in the direction. All right, that's what I need. I need my faith to be in that spot. I don't need to get to a place in faith where I don't feel any doubt at all. We talked about that already. I don't need to get to a place where I don't feel any fear at all. We talked about that on Sunday. But what I need to do is get to down in my heart. I believe it. That I can believe it. My mom was telling me after uh, service on Sunday, she said uh, uh, she was remembering way back, it was Joyce Meyer that taught something. I don't know how many years, it was a lot of years ago, she said. And she had taught, taught this message, Do it afraid. <laughs> so that's a good title right there. Do it afraid. Yeah, you can do it afraid. <laughs> but you're doing it. You're out there and you're doing it. You're not letting your feelings steer you back. Just understand, you don't have to get perfect in in all this. But you got to get to a place where inside, oh, I don't think that's going to happen. But I'm going to say it anyway. No, don't don't be speaking that. Get yourself in a place, God, I need this thing to happen. You need this thing to happen. Show me what things I need to get my faith there. And don't expect it to take weeks. 
Brother Hagin took him three days. Of course, he was already going around teaching about all this sort of stuff, but he still took three days to meditate on that. It don't take you long. You'll get yourself in that place and then speak words out of it. And then don't let any other words come out. I remember him telling a story of um, they were in a service and I forget what the condition was, but they were praying over someone and there was even a word. God even had a word for the, the situation. And God was moving in there. And uh, sometime later, uh, this person either wasn't healed or had fallen back into it. And Brother Hagin was wondering, I think it was Brother Hagin's his story, was wondering what uh, had gone on with, with all that. Well, he heard them talking later on. And they, they talked against all the things they prayed. Don't be doing that. You can talk against all the things that you prayed. You can have other people that will talk against all the things that you, you prayed. And uh, you didn't say it. But did you defend it? Did you stand up? No, I don't believe that. We prayed. And this is what's going to happen. I don't need everybody around me to be in belief. Jesus didn't need everybody around him to be in belief. He just closed the door on them. Get out. Get out. We're just, we're just going to be just us couple of people here. That's it. That's all we need. All them unbelievers, they can be outside on the other side of the door. But he made them, let them know, I am not in agreement with what you're doing. I am not in agreement with this. They're all out there wailing. She's not dead. Oh, you got to be kidding me. All right, fine. Get out of here. When people want to speak against your words, you speak against, you can speak against them. I do not receive that. You stand up for what, what it is that you believe. And you keep going on. I don't need them to get in a place of faith. I don't need them to be in a place of belief. But I need to make that stand. I need to know, I believe this so much, I am standing up against you and what you're doing. Now, don't involve everybody. Don't look to involve everybody into things that you're praying and believing God for. But sometimes they'll just they'll just be in a place and they found out. <laughs> they found out, well, we, you can't stop that. But uh, don't feel it. Don't, don't waste time getting them in faith and, and belief. That's not your, that's not your role. Jesus didn't do it. If Jesus didn't do it, you don't need to do it. He just shut the door on them. Well, just put them out there. When she, when she comes out and she's alive, I guess they'll be believing then. <laughs> Surely they, they'd have to be at that point. But, um, even at the tomb with Lazarus. Roll the stone away. Oh, master, he's gonna stink. He didn't sit there and try and talk her into faith. He said, just do it. Roll the stone away. Don't waste your time talking to people around you and to believe in the same thing they're doing. Don't feel like you have to involve them. But if they do, the examples we have in the Word of God, they stood up to them. You will not talk disbelief on, the, on what I'm doing. Close the door on them. On them just, uh, just as Jesus did. However it is that He did it. Father, I thank You. Our words are powerful. We can change things with the words that we speak. But the enemy is trying to weaken our words. He's trying to take the power off. He's trying to take us, take our speed setting and move it from the highest down towards the lowest. He eventually wants it to turn off altogether. But we don't have to go his way. We want to follow your way. We want our words to be powerful. We want our words to be filled with life, be filled with faith, 
be filled with the light of the Word of God. There will be many people who will come and speak against us, stand against us, argue with us about those words. But we have examples in the Word of God of what to follow. But we have to make sure that we don't speak out of the wrong things or try to dress up something that is wrong with faith-sounding words. We need to know this is what God wants. This is the direction that God has set. And just as the rudder of a ship and the bit in the horse's mouth sets the direction, I set my direction according to what God has shown me. Thank you, Father, for the power that is in our mouth. And we will make sure that the guard is on watch all the time. We will listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we will be careful about opening our mouth and speaking these things. Thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Any comments, questions, or did I miss anything? I did. Under B. Without God's logos or rhema, that's his written word or his spoken word, our words are empty. I did forget that one, didn't I? No, that was for you to fill in. Yep, hang on, I'll read it off to you again, again here. Where did it go? There we go. I meant to read. I know we stopped it halfway. And then I meant, to, I, maybe I didn't go back and finish reading it. Not recognizing a thing's value reduces neither its value or importance, but will change how we guard, protect, and use it. It will change how we guard, protect, and use it. I did not read that off. Thank you. <laughs> Any, anything else? Comments, questions? Yes. Um, James three six, uh, the latter part of the verse says, "And it is set on fire of hell." Um, King James. The New New Living Translation says it was set on fire by hell. Um, is this what? How do you interpret that? Does he mean um, the geographical place? um, No, James is using it not for. He is using it as the um, the enemy, Satan. I won't. Me myself, I won't use that term. I think I mentioned that. One time we're going over. I won't use that term for the devil because that's not his headquarters. Right. But James did. He's looking at the basically the devil and his angels, the kingdom of darkness, and he's using hell to describe him. Not the place of hell. Hell itself has no influence upon the living. Okay. I'm good. Good. Yeah, New Living t- it was just a little bit different. 